Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. It's relatively easy to feel overwhelmed with the trials and complications we face daily. Thank you, Jesus, for your living word, full of infinite wisdom and knowledge. Join us as we go through a sermon series in the book of Proverbs called Skillful Living. Amen. You may be seated. So great to see all of y'all today. Memorial Day weekend, uh, despite the fact that summer's starting, like Kevin said, it's a, it's a great time to be in church this morning. And I do want to say, don't normally do political things here, but do want to say to all of those who lost loved ones in service to our country, we pray for you and we are so thankful that those men and women were willing to give their lives for the country that we live in. So I'm Alan McBrayer. I'm the executive pastor here, and I get a chance to do this ever so often. And this morning, I'm particularly excited about bringing you God's Word. Over the last few weeks, we've uh, been doing a series called Overcoming, and Kevin's led us through that series, dealing with some of the most difficult emotional issues that we face every day, things like discouragement and defeat, and depression, things like fear and anxiety. Last week, we talked about addictions. And indeed, those are very difficult things to deal with. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to that series, you can get that online, and I would encourage you to do that. Extremely helpful and relevant for today's world, and as it always is. But today, we're beginning a new series, and this is why I'm excited, because this new series is through the book of Proverbs. And I can say Proverbs has been one of the most formative books in the Bible for me. Uh, I used to read a verse a day, and then I would read a chapter a day, and then I'd read 10 verses a day, and I've just done it different ways. But as uh, you begin to realize how much you need wisdom, which we realize today, right? As you realize how much you need it, you begin to go to God's Word to find it. And we're going to talk about that idea today. But let me ask you as we begin, what are one of the most difficult issues that you've ever faced? No response needed, but in your mind, those issues can be, they range all across the board. It can be how to talk to your teenager or teenagers how to talk to your parents. It can be finding the right career. It can be maybe getting married and who do you marry and oh my gosh is this the right one I don't know if I can do this you need God's wisdom you know it may be to uh, help aging parents or how to deal with the empty nest which I have to say still struggling with that one because we love our kids and grandkids so much we just moved to Houston it's what we did and uh, that solved a lot of the problem But there are so many issues. In today's world, we've just seen issues this week, school shootings, things like that. There are a variety of answers about how do you deal with that. We need God's wisdom. And let's say this, that in every last stage, you need it. No matter how young you are, when you're going through school, when you're in college, uh, when you get to the end of your life, when you decide to retire, where when you have kids, when you don't have kids, married or single, you need wisdom in every last stage. And as we have entitled it, this series throughout the summer is called Skillful Living. 
Wisdom is that ability to live life according to God's principles so that you get the most out of life. And we'll talk more about that. But, you know, there's not a lack of answers in the world today about what to do. You know, one of the things I've enjoyed over the last few years is this concept of hacks, H-A-C-K-S. You know, you get this little simple fix to this little hack, and it kind of changes your life for a period of time, and then you kind of default back to your old way of doing it, and so it doesn't keep helping you. But that's one solution is kind of a temporary fix. There's Google. If you don't have the answer, just Google it. Whether the answer is right or not, you can just Google it. But you can also, if you like to watch television, you can go to talk shows and they'll tell you how to handle it. Uh, you can go to conferences. They'll tell you how to handle certain things that you're dealing with. You can go to a counselor. And there are a bunch there, uh, blogs, podcasts, you name it. There are a bunch of answers out there. The question is, where do you find a reliable answer to build your life on. When I was in college, I was known as the guy that couldn't stay put. In college, I started in 1967, I know before many of you were born, but I started college in 1967 and I went to Texas Tech. No, oh, no guns up, okay, all right. <laughs> went to Texas Tech one semester. I decided I couldn't handle the sand and I couldn't handle the wind. Now, there's wind down here, but there's just not sand. People that love it, love it. That's not a problem for them. But, and I thought I was a West Texas kid, but I really wasn't. So I came back to Fort Worth where I grew up and where we lived most of our lives. I came back to Fort Worth and went to TCU. Went there for three semesters. And then I felt like at the end of that third semester that God was calling me into the ministry, which I later decided he wasn't, and then later on decided he was. Uh, but... Uh, so at the end of that third semester, I transferred to Hardin-Simmons University, which is a great Baptist school. If you haven't considered it as a Christian school, it's a great one, along with uh, HBU that's here in this town. There's so many good universities like that. I went there. And then at the end of that, I decided I was going to transfer to the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, at the last minute, I decided, that's crazy. Why would anybody go there? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, Actually, what I decided was I'd go to work for my dad and start making money, right? And so when you're like 21 years old and you're starting to make $100 a week, you think you're rich. And so, you know, I started doing that. I laid out of school for a year. And then I realized that I probably needed to go ahead and get uh, a degree in case God ever decided to do something further in my life. And eventually he did call me into the ministry and I began to do that. But then I got my degree and during those four universities that I went to, I also changed majors three times. And I started off with a psychology major. I switched then to a business major because that just made more sense. And then I decided, no, that's too hard. So I switched back to a psychology major, not saying anything about any psychologists in the room. And I switched back to that and got to a minor, almost a major and realized, I don't agree with this stuff. And uh, this was during that era called behavioral psychology, and I really didn't buy into that, okay? And I decided that I wanted a biblical worldview, so I decided to go with European history and study the Reformation and those kinds of things, and I graduated with that degree. I needed wisdom. I couldn't stay put. 
I went to all these universities. I went to, through all these different majors. I wasted a lot of time and money, although with God, nothing is wasted. He's used a lot of those things in my life. And I realized that looking back at that time that I lacked wisdom. And in this room, I would say it's true of every one of us, we lack wisdom in some area. Wisdom is something you pursue really for the rest of your life if you are a wise person. Wisdom tells us how to get the most out of life, but where do you find that wisdom? Well, obviously, it's found in the Bible. It's God's truth. But we're going to look at a Proverbs today, which is one of the three books in the Bible where most of the information and and writing in God's Word talks about wisdom. In those three books, 217 times the word wisdom is used. In the book of Proverbs that we're going to look at, 44 times it's used. The other two are on both sides of it, Job and Ecclesiastes, and they present wisdom from a little bit different perspective. But Proverbs is wisdom for everyday life. And so as we dive into this this morning, we're going to talk about wisdom today, but we're going to talk about a lot of topics over these nine weeks. We're going to talk about what Proverbs says about work, what it says about conflict, what it says about relationships, about friends, about how to use your words, so many different things that it talks about. We're going to isolate nine of those, but today, this is kind of the foundation of it all, which is wisdom. So turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 1, and we'll read verses Uh, 1 through 7 in Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance here. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then he caps it off with this famous verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. In this section, the first nine chapters, it goes on to finish up this section in 9.10 by saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So knowledge and wisdom go hand in hand, and we will talk about that. But as we look at this, what we understand is that the way I would see this is that wisdom is the ability to make things work so that they achieve your desired outcome. Now, if you hear that closely, you realize that doesn't necessarily say anything about doing it God's way. It just says doing it the way that makes things work. If I grew up in the piano business, and my dad knew how to make a piano work. And he was wise when it came to pianos. And so it's just talking about wisdom. In fact, if you look at the Bible, the word wisdom is used in different arenas in different ways in the Bible. One of those is referring to uh, the craftsmen that built the tabernacle in Israel. They were wise builders. Uh, the, The ones that sewed the garments of a high priest, they were wise in their craftsmanship. Also, we see that those who navigated the high seas, those mariners were wise in the way that they were able to go over those seas when they got stormy and turbulent and make them go the right direction. They had wisdom. That's actually biblical wisdom, but they had wisdom. And then you see that Solomon himself 
had tremendous administrative ability, and that's called wisdom in 1 Kings 3. And, and there's many others, uh, wisdom that counselors would have. Those are all used as wisdom. And so it's really the ability to live life skillfully, living skillfully in life. Now, when you don't live skillfully, things don't turn out so well. But when things turn out well in your life because you followed a certain course that meant you knew how to do it, that's called wisdom. We capture these in what the Bible would call Proverbs. It actually calls them riddles too, or parables, but it's called Proverbs. But what we would call these today is sayings. We all have sayings. I was thinking as I was driving up here this morning, we have that saying in the Houston area, Houston, we have a problem. And that, to me, that means you may not realize that there's a problem, but everybody around you realizes there's a problem. Whatever that means, that would be a proverb or a saying that you'd try to figure out what does that mean, and it would give you a principle for living life. My dad had a lot of these sayings, and, and I enjoy when I hear them come out of my mouth. I enjoy that because it's like, oh, that was what my dad said. But one of those things was when you're facing someone that's kind of intimidating and kind of acting superior to you, and you don't want to be intimidated, he would say, hey, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. Well, what does that really mean? Well, what that really means is, if you ever tried to put your pants on two legs at a time, you fall down, you just can't do it. Even if you're, even if you're sitting down, it's really hard to do it. And so I would like, oh, that's right, I don't want to be intimidated by that. I need to understand the power they have and the power they don't have, it's okay. Another saying that he had in uh, relating to bill collectors, was this, they can't eat you. Okay, well, that's true. Bill collect, actually, bill collectors can eat you if they're Hannibal or whatever. But, uh, you know, they can't eat you. So don't let them have more power in your life. It's just money. Deal with it, but don't let them be the superior person. You know, deal with it the, the proper way. And those are our own sayings about things. But you see, they are those short, concise sayings about life that present the general truth of life from a divine perspective. That's what biblical proverbs are. And what that really means is this, is that they are not promises. Like people will take some of the proverbs and say, well, I did that, God didn't deliver, so he must not be true. No, raise up a child in the way he should go, and in, when he's old, he will not depart from it. Generally, that is true. But we all know exceptions to that rule. What are the exceptions because of? Maybe it's because you really didn't raise them up in the way they should go. Maybe that means raise them up in the particular bent that they have. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of what that says. But 95, there's not a percentage. I'm making this up. But 95% of the time or even more, when you hear a proverb that comes from the Bible, it is going to be true. And it's how you want to live your life is based on that. And so in these verses, these seven verses that we just read, Solomon gives us a lot of various aspects of what this word wisdom means. The word wisdom itself is the word chokmah, which is a Hebrew word that means the ability to live life skillfully, as we've already talked about. But the second word is found there in verse 2. In my translation, it calls it discipline. And we don't really like the word discipline very much because we think of somebody punishing us. We think of somebody really making life miserable for us. 
But that's not really what the word discipline means in its fullest understanding. What it really means is the idea of training that comes behind it. Sometimes you can train yourself to respond in a certain way. For example, one of the things I have a problem with, just full disclosure here, is I get in too big of a hurry. I want to get the problem fixed and move on to something else. Well, actually, the book of Proverbs says that's not a wise approach to life. What it says is, is that he who is hasty will come to poverty. And it says some other things about he who is hasty. And so one of the things I am beginning at the ripe old age of 72, okay, I'm beginning to train myself to do in my thought life is to say, slow down, Alan. That may not be the best way to handle this. And I'm, I'm, it's becoming more instinctive. It's becoming more habitual. I'm getting trained to do that. Most of the time, the training that we get is from other people, though. And then we have to apply it to our lives. But this is part of wisdom. If I don't have that automatic response in my mind to approach it in a wise way, then I'm not going to be wise. And life is not going to work out the way it should really work out. And so we have mentors in our life that do have wisdom. Check them out to make sure that their wisdom's coming from God's Word. But we have mentors. We actually have books, Carl, right? Uh, and uh, Carl Hamilton was saying this, that a lot of his mentors are books that he reads. And sometimes you have to, again, make sure about the book, but sometimes those books are our very mentors. The Bible, obviously, and the book of Proverbs in specific, is one of those mentors in our lives that will teach us wisdom. And, of course, our parents. Our parents are placed there by God to help us discern between good and evil. And in the New Testament, the word discipline is literally child training is what it is. And so what we want to do is we want to have the self-training in order to pursue wisdom in our life and to make wise responses. A third word that's found in verse 2 is the word understanding. And the way I see that word, the word understanding means taking the knowledge and understanding the principles beneath the knowledge that makes it true knowledge and how it connects with other knowledge so that you can actually use it in your life. We see this with King Solomon, the one that wrote this book of Proverbs for the most part. He also captured like 3,000 Proverbs from around the world because this was a whole institution in those days to have wisdom in your court in those kinds of ideas. But when Solomon became king, his father, David, reigned for 40 years, incredible king. And when Solomon became king, he realized how young and inexperienced he was. And God, knowing Solomon, he came to him in a dream, in a vision, and he says, Solomon, ask me for anything that you want as you begin your kingship, and I'll give it to you. And he could have asked for a lot of things. You know, it's kind of like the genie in the bottle. But, but he asked for the best thing he could possibly ask for. He asked for wisdom. Because he said, with wisdom, I will be able to lead this great people that you've entrusted to me, and I will be able to make wise decisions and judgments. And so God said, I will give you wisdom. And he got it as a gift. And as soon as he got it, this is another principle that we won't go into, but as soon as he got it, he got tested on it. All right? God gave him wisdom, and these two women who were prostitutes that had babies, came to him with this problem. They had both had babies at about the same time. They were infants. One night, one of the two 
rolled over on her baby and the baby suffocated and died. And she got up, she switched the babies so that in the morning when the light came up, then the prostitute that had the living child had a dead baby right there. Oh my gosh, what happened? And then she looked closer and she realized that's not my baby. So when she went to the other woman, she said, you switch babies in the middle of the night. That's my baby and this is yours. And she said, no, 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 that's not right. This is my baby. You just are confused. Let's go to King Solomon. Let's find out the answer. They went to the king, King Solomon, and King Solomon said, hmm, this is a pretty tough one. If I make the wrong decision here, this is going to be a big problem. So taking the wisdom that God had given him, he thought beneath the actual issue that was involved and realized that the thing that could determine the answer to this is a mother's love for her baby. And he took that principle and he said, well, I tell you what we'll do to determine whose baby it is. Bring me a sword and bring me the living baby and let's cut the baby in half and each of you can get half of a baby. The mother, she absolutely resisted that idea. She said, no way are we doing that. Let her have the baby. And Solomon knew that the living baby belonged to the right mother and gave her that baby. That was wisdom. Wisdom is being able to have understanding, to see beneath the surface to the principles involved and to come up with the answer because of that. And then we see that it says in verse 3 that it's also a value-based idea. Now, in the world, wisdom is not necessarily that way. But in God's word, in God's uh, biblical worldview, in that worldview, unless you are actually demonstrating moral values, you're really not a very wise person. You will explore this as we go through the book of Proverbs. But here he's saying that when you have wisdom, you will have instruction in righteousness and justice and integrity. And if you think about that, that's the kind of wisdom that we want, where we're actually making the right decision that's right for people. We want to make a decision that is just, it's fair on both sides, and we want to make a decision that's based on actual honesty and transparency, integrity, not hidden agendas. Because this is what happens. People get these hidden agendas and they're partial to one side or the other when they're making a decision think uh, a conflict in marriage, you know, you're partial to your side, and that's not really integrity. Integrity is looking at the issues impartially and making a decision that is based on those values. So that's another word that Solomon gives us in these verses. Then he gives us kind of an interesting word. In verse 4, the word prudence, which is also translated shrewdness. As you can tell from that word, we don't really want to deal with shrewd people, right? Because we know they're going to take advantage of us. But there's also a good side to this shrewdness that we are actually told in one of Jesus' parables to be that way with our money, to be shrewd with our money, which he says is laying up treasures in heaven with your money, and that's actually shrewdness. And so what this word really means is this, is to plot a course that will turn out advantageously for you, and if you're doing it for God, will also turn out advantageously for God and his purposes as well. That's what real shrewdness is, the ability to see ahead and plot a course that is advantageous. And then he gives us another word, the word knowledge that we talked about a little bit earlier. It's important that we do have the facts. Now, the problem is today, there are so many facts out there that which ones are really the true facts. In fact, we can't keep up with it. 
if we just think about it. There's so much information out there. Isaac Asimov, who was a science fiction writer of the 20th century and also a professor of biochemistry at Boston University, said this. He said, the saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. And isn't that true? We make decisions based on certain facts that fit our desires, and then we say we're a wise person because we're making that work. Making it work is not always the issue. The question is, is it really true wisdom? Because true wisdom will allow you to get the most out of life from God's perspective. And so we want to think about that. We want to think about also the difference in wisdom between true wisdom and false wisdom. We see this in the Garden of Eden, where Satan, who is also, by the way, called shrewd or crafty, Satan comes to them having known what was going on in the Garden of Eden, that God had said, there's one tree that you can't eat of. And he said, has God really said that you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden? He actually said all the trees of the garden. He kind of made it worse than it really was. And Eve said, no. He said, we should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and not even touch it, which God didn't say that, I don't think, and not even touch it because he said that will not be good for us. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan said, you will not surely die. The truth is the opposite. In the day that you eat of that tree, you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. And Satan, by his craftiness, convinced Eve and Adam, he convinced them to actually do what God had told them not to do. And then this is what she said, what it says in response It says, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for attaining obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. She saw that the knowledge of good and evil was wisdom. But yet, what we do as human beings is we tend to not go with the knowledge of good. We tend to go with the knowledge of evil and pursue that, and we call it wisdom. The reality is, as Kenneth Aiken in the commentary I was reading on the book of Proverbs, is he said like this, he said, it's odd how man's wisdom always seems so foolish, so wise, I'm sorry, let me start over. It's odd how man's wisdom always seems so wise, while God's wisdom seems somehow rather foolish. And we know that as kids, right? I remember having these conversations with mom and dad. Oh, y'all are just outdated. Y'all don't really understand. That's not really the way it is nowadays. Used to be that way. It's not that way now. And it's odd how man's wisdom seems so smart and so wise when God's wisdom seems so foolish and so outdated. So we really have to understand what wisdom is really wisdom. The world's wisdom is man-centered. That means the world's wisdom is based on our intelligence. It's based on our wisdom, so-called, and it's based on our experience. Every bit of that is limited, but God's wisdom is based on Him, and He's infinite. He not only knows everything, He knows everything possible that could happen. God also is the wisest being in existence. He knows everything and is the one who created it, and He knows how it works. How could we not follow His wisdom? And that's why it says that the origin of wisdom in verse 7 comes from God. 
If we would just follow the wisdom that he gives us in the word, things would turn out better. I remember this experience of trying to put together knocked down furniture. You know, growing up, we never had that. But then they started shipping furniture in slabs. And so you would have to get the A with the A and the B with the B and all that kind of stuff. Well, the first time I put one together um, was a piece of office furniture. And instinctively, I got them together. I saw the screw. I just put my screwdriver in there and I turned it. And I kept turning it till it tightened up. Guess what? I turned it too far because that's not what the direction said to do. The direction said, turn it this far, get it snug, and that's what you want. You know, men don't read directions. I was a young man, okay? But it's true. I, I didn't want to read the directions because I thought, just like a little kid, I don't need any help. I can do this myself. Don't show me how to do it. I know how to do it myself. You know, you always want to say to your kids, no, you don't know how to do it yourself. You think you know how to do it. Let me show you how to do it. And I get the whole emotion there. But the point is this, is that instinctively, if you don't follow the directions, you're going to make mistakes and things are going to blow up. That's what's going to happen. So wisdom would be following the directions, reading the directions first. And so the origin of wisdom is found in God and his word. And it says in verse 7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And later on, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is such an important concept. It's used 12 times in the book of Proverbs, but it's used over 300 times in the Bible. And so we need to understand it because it is a very misunderstood thing. Here's some of the things it says about this fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs, though, just to show you how valuable it is. It says that it prolongs life. It provides strong confidence. It's a fountain of life. It aligns with humility. It turns us from evil. And unlike the fear of man, which brings a snare, it actually gives us freedom when we have fear that comes and is directed toward the Lord. And so the question is, what kind of fear is this? Martin Luther, the one who led the Protestant Reformation, is given credit for that. He distinguished between two kinds of fear. A fear that was called a servile kind of fear and one that was called a filial kind of fear. And Martin Luther, in giving us the insight between those two, he talked about that servile kind of fear, which was the fear that you have toward a tormentor as if you were in a dungeon or something like that. And every time you heard them coming with that ring of keys on their side, you would start to have that dread and that anxiety. That's the kind of servile fear that we're talking about. But he says, that's not the fear of the Lord that we're talking about here. He says, we're talking about filial fear, that word that comes from the idea of the family. And he said it like this, much like the fear that a child has for a good father, Luther said, a young child has a fear or an anxiety of offending the one he loves, not because he is afraid of torture or even punishment, but rather because he's afraid of displeasing the one who is in that child's world, the source of power, security, and love. And it's so true because we really want to have the fear of the Lord that is like what it talks about in Romans and Galatians where we see God as Abba, Father. He is a good, good God, as the song says. He is our Abba or our Papa or our Daddy that we can climb up into his lap. And he won't give us everything we want, but everything he gives us is good for us. And he wants to be that kind of a dad. And so that kind of fear of the Lord just engenders the desire to want to do 
what he wants us to do. But today we have kind of moved, the pendulum has moved a little bit so that we really kind of look at the loving side of God more than we look at the more, uh, the bigness side of God as one person put it. We see God as good so much that sometimes like the prayer we say over our food when we're little, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. We forget about the greatness of God and you have to keep those in balance. God is good indeed but God is great. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something or someone that is above you. So humility is indeed linked with the fear of God and with wisdom. We have to have humility on our side in order to really have a healthy fear of God so that we can receive his wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Second thing I want us to talk about is that we need to desire wisdom if we're going to have it. It sounds like a nice concept. I'd love to have a lot of wisdom. But until you really desire wisdom, you will not obtain wisdom. Proverbs tells us that true wisdom, according to 3.13, will actually make us happy. It's the way to the good life, as you might say. It's the way to get the most out of life. But why should we really desire it? Nothing wrong with being happy and getting the most out of life. But it has supreme value in three areas. One of those areas, it has supreme value to God. Why does it? We, we know, first of all, that wisdom delights God. In Proverbs 8, a whole chapter devoted to wisdom that is personified as a person, it says, wisdom talking here, I was a skilled craftsman beside him, God. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. As God was making the world, he was making the world with wisdom, and it was a delight to him. So our wisdom delights God. It also glorifies God. When you go a little bit further in 1 Kings, in chapter 10, you see that the queen of Sheba journeyed from a far off place to come and experience the wisdom of Solomon. And when she got there and spent a few days there in his court and talked to him, he solved so many problems, riddles, those kinds of things. He was able to show her the beauty of his kingdom the way he administered, even the way the people sat around the table when they ate together. And she was in awe. And what happened was that she gave the God of Solomon credit for the wisdom that he had. And this is what happens when we demonstrate wisdom to the world. It will cause the world to look at our God, not just us, but it will cause the world to look at our God and it will bring him glory. True wisdom actually attracts people to God and to it. And then also God desires it in us. You may be familiar with the famous verse in Psalm 90 that says, teach us to number our days, O God, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. One of the desires of my life is that when I die, I will be able to present to God a heart of wisdom. I don't really need to wait till then, right? 
I can be presenting that heart of wisdom to God right now. And when it does, it delights God, the one who saved me. And it also is the best way to live life. But not only does uh, it have supreme value for God, but also it has supreme value for our relationships. James 3.17 says this, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy. If you had a boss like that, what would that be like? If you had a marriage relationship like that, maybe you do. What would that be like? If you had friends like that or coworkers like that, people that are peace-loving and gentle and compliant, full of mercy. You see, as we look at that, that Sunday, when we talk about relationships, this will come even more into focus, but it has supreme value for relationships. And then last, it has supreme value for us living well. There are several things that it says in Proverbs 4, 6. It says, that kind of wisdom will guard you. It's better than jewels. There's nothing that compares with it. It will add years to your life, and that really means length to your days. It will establish your home. Wisdom gives you unfading hope. It provides safety. It brings joy and pride to your parents. So why would you not want this? And where is it found? We're, set, we're told that it's found in God's Word. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of God's Word is truth. His righteous judgments endure forever. One of the greatest pieces of advice I could give you today is start reading God's Word every day. And when you finish it, start over and read it again every day. And everyone in, in this room that does that would tell you the same thing because you keep getting more and more and more wisdom from it as you read it. And life makes a lot more sense and it's a little bit easier to live even when difficulties come your way. And the last thing I want us to talk about is developing truism, because this is such an important thing. And this is the part that I really want us to get today. Not only is it really desirable for us, true wisdom, living life skillfully, but it also is a process that we have to develop. Solomon received wisdom as a gift. You say, well, that's great. I'll just ask God for wisdom. I'll get wisdom. It's like, you know, open the top of your brain and pour it in and we're good to go. No, that's not the way it works. You do get it as a gift to start off, but it is a process that you have to develop. It's said in verse five that the wiser get it and they become wiser still. Solomon continued to seek for wisdom. He was a lifelong learner. In fact, as you look at Solomon, he was a great botanist. He loved examining plants. Uh, if I'm getting this right, he was an enterologist. He loved looking at bugs. Solomon lo loved looking at animals, but he was also a guy that learned how to build things. He was an engineer. He was a great administrator. He had plans for everything, and he carried them out. He knew how to delegate the right way. Solomon had wisdom in every area, but he learned that thing, and then he collected all these proverbs, some 3,000 proverbs. He collected all these things because he knew the importance of learning wisdom lifelong. Let me say to you right now, Sometimes you get to the place in life where you say, I got it, I don't need it. I got all I need, I'm good to go. It's just not true. As you get more wisdom, you realize how much more wisdom you need. So if you're really at that place, you're not wise at all. I don't know who that applies to, I'm just talking, okay. 
But I'm just saying, it's easy to think, oh, I got it figured out now. Got a good job, got a good wife, got a good kid, bunch of good kids. You know, life is good. And you think you got it all figured out. You never need to quit acquiring wisdom. It is a process. In Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, this is what Solomon wrote. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. It's an if and a then. If you do this, then you will become wise. And so what do you do then to engage this process of gaining wisdom and living by wisdom? The first thing is this. Don't miss it. It relates to the fear of the Lord. You have to surrender to the source. The source of wisdom is God. In fact, the source of wisdom is even more localized in one sense than that. It says in him, talking about Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the source. And in order to get the wisdom, you have to surrender your life to the source, who is God, who is Christ. And so you can get worldly wisdom, and it will work if it lines up with what the Scripture says. But when you get Jesus Christ in your life, you have the one that all the treasures of wisdom knowledge are hidden in. And then you become wiser still. In fact, he said about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This means that Jesus is not just the map that he gives to us. The Bible is not just a map. Jesus himself is our guide. He goes with us on the pathway and guides us the right way. And when we come to believe in him, then it's like the conduit of wisdom is opened up from God and we begin to receive wisdom. Second thing is not only surrender to the source, but admit our need, as we've already talked about. It says here, my son, if you accept, we have to say, I need wisdom. If you accept that you need wisdom, then do all of these things. We don't come into the world with wisdom. In fact, we come into the world naive and foolish is how we come into the world. And we have to be trained, we have to gain wisdom, and God has to give us that wisdom. Because man resists God's wisdom. All the way from the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation, we see man resisting God's, God's wisdom. I'm always struck by Revelation when it's talking about the unbelievers who are under the judgment and wrath of God. What they say, instead of coming to Jesus and say, save us, they say, let the rocks fall on us because we can't handle his wrath. They had a better answer. They could have reached out and he would have saved them. But instead, they resist man's wisdom. We all know that this is insane. But isn't this what we do? We keep saying, I'm going to do it my way, thinking we can, and it doesn't work out. It's usually when we finally crash and burn that we begin to admit our need for wisdom. And then we'll start getting it. I think that's why young people, when they get into their 20s, they begin to say how wise mom and dad were. Because now they've lived some life and they've crashed and burned without a safety net. And now they're beginning to understand that was wisdom. I should have listened to that. But it's not ever too late. You can start right now. But the third and last thing, and we'll close with this, is we need to seek wisdom and apply it wholeheartedly. 
Seek wisdom and apply it wholeheartedly. When he says, son, accept my words, store up my commands, that's memorization, by the way. Listen closely to wisdom. That's stop talking long enough to listen. Direct our hearts to understanding. Make that your pathway. Call out, pray, call out for insight. Lift your voice to understanding and seek it like silver and hidden treasure. Then you will have it. You can't just dabble in getting a little bit of wisdom and think you got it. You've got to really pursue this with your whole heart. This is what's so difficult. No matter what field of study is, we never want to talk to somebody that's giving us advice if they don't know their stuff. I've always been impressed with doctors, how much studying and training they have to have, not just book learning, but understanding and hands-on learning. And then there's that gradual coaching process that happens where they get to watch somebody and then they get to try it themselves and get correction and then they do it again. And they do all of that. And so that's the reason that I personally trust my family doctor because I know how much he's been trained. And I can tell that he stays up to date on things. That's why I was glad I got a young family physician, okay? Because I know he's going to probably stay up to date on that stuff. I trust him. Now, some people have bad experiences with doctors, and I understand that. But in general, doctors know their stuff because they have actually devoted themselves to gaining wisdom about the science and practice of medicine. When we moved to Houston, I wanted to learn a language. And so I wanted to learn Spanish because I know that's going to be a language that's super prevalent and already is. And so I got my little Duolingo app. I started learning Spanish, 30 minutes a day, two or three months. And then I got around a group of people that spoke Spanish, and it's like I didn't understand anything they were saying. I pick out a word here, pick out a word there. It's because I was trying to do it, but I wasn't immersed in Spanish. And you don't get it unless you're immersed in it. And that's the way wisdom is. If I can encourage you to do one thing, it's to immerse yourself in the pursuit of God's wisdom as we go through Proverbs. Let this be a turning point. I read this story, which I really enjoyed this week, about Socrates, that ancient Greek philosopher. It says he was sitting by a river one day when a young man came along. And he said, Socrates, I need wisdom. How can I get wisdom? And Socrates grabbed him by the neck, and he stuck his head underwater. He was there by the river. And until he began to flail and just almost was too late. He pulled him up and he said this, son, he says, when you want wisdom as much as you just wanted air, then you will have it. Do we want wisdom that much? Is it life giving to us or is it just a good idea? I want to encourage you today to make the commitment to seek God's wisdom not only will it make your life better, but it will glorify him and attract others to him. And it will enable you to bless others when you have that wisdom. Your life will be so much more meaningful. Let me ask, will you make that commitment today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your willingness to tell us how life works. Lord, your desire for us to not flounder, but your desire for us to actually get it right, to allow us to live life in a skillful way so that what we desire that comes from you can actually be achieved. Lord, we want to say to you this morning that we need you. 
that we have the need for wisdom, but we need you even more. Lord, I pray today that if there's anyone in this room that needs to surrender to you, to the source, who is Jesus, that today they would admit that need and they would come to you. Lord, I pray for the rest of us in this room who have already come to you. Uh, Maybe some of us are on cruise control and we're just kind of floating along, letting the current carry us. Let us be willing, Lord, to jump and to move and to seek and pursue wholeheartedly that which you have called us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Tomball app to find community in the body of Christ.